good morning to you. How's everybody? How many of you know somebody or yourself got a cold, bug, some kind? Okay. Uh, one of the things that's happened to us, because we have a child now, uh, we, the, the bug visits our house a little more frequently than it used to. Um, and I will say that it's visited us again. I have a cold of some kind, whatever it is. I also will say that uh, having a child in my house and getting the bug, it's worth it. I'm just saying. Um, I'll love, even if I get sick, uh, having her in our home has is, is made us better. So if I drink a little water, if I have to blow my nose, just bear with me. I'm not, I don't have the flu, so let me help you out there. Um, just have an annoying little cold. Uh, we are about to finish up uh, what has been for me personally one of the most enjoyable, heart-wrenching series I've done because Jonah is, is an eye-opening story. It's not what we grew up with. If you grew up with, and, and certainly the whale is an important piece, and Jonah running and being eaten by the whale and throwing over, all that stuff is true. But this story is really about the mercy and grace of God on people like Jonah and the Ninevites. That his grace and mercy was was for them and that I want you to see that 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 is the theme of this book it's not about a fish and it's not about certainly Jonah's rebellion is 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 real but it is about the grace and mercy of God and how he is willing to put that out for all of us um, for for any of us regardless of our past or our present circumstance so if you've got your Bibles we're going to get here in just a moment but go to Jonah chapter 4 here's a cool thing We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4 next week, too, because Brad's going to finish us out. Um, Beth and I and Italia are, are taking a family trip with best parents. We're going to a warmer climate, and I can't wait for that. Just hey, Sorry, I'll send you photos and say, wish you were here. Uh, and don't pray for rain. <laughs> um, snow, yeah. Brad's going to finish out because here's what I'm going to do. This week, how many of you ever heard the term good cop, bad cop? Okay, you've heard it. Well, this week, I'm bad cop, and Brad is good cop. So I'm going to talk about how Jonah responds to God's mercy and grace. And then he's going to talk about how God's mercy and grace and how we should respond to that. And so it's going to be great. I'm excited. He and I have been prepping for this because I knew that this was coming, and I was going to do the bad cop and Brad's going to be good cop. And so we're going to do that um, this week. And then uh, after that, we're going to start a brand new series. Uh, we're going to plow through the uh, book of First Peter right up to Easter. So going to be good stuff. A lot of good stuff on the horizon. So let's, uh, let's walk in through that. Let me just, let's do a little rewind. Um, we had two instances where God told Jonah, go. So let me read those to you. It says, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for its evil has come upon me. That's in Jonah 1 2. Of course, we know the story. Jonah rebels, flees, takes off. And then he comes back to him again and he says, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. And I love this because I, Brad and I talked about this that in his rebellion, his commission didn't change. He didn't lessen it. God didn't say, well, since you didn't listen, you're going to just get to do this. It didn't change. And this is really cool. If you think about it, many of the biblical characters, their commission didn't change. 
he still said you get to go do what I asked you to do. Now, there may have been consequences from it, certainly, but he tells him to go. And I, I want you to see this because this is going to build our, this is going to build Jonah's response. So this is, uh, this keeps rolling. And this is in chapter 3, and it says this, As the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is a really pivotal piece in this because he doesn't go back and sit on his throne. He actually sits himself off the throne because he realizes that this is really serious, that there, is, there are consequences on the horizon for them. And he issued a proclamation and published it through, through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let him not feed or drink water. But let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth and let them call out, and call out to the mighty God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence with his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that they may not perish. And this is, when you hear this, you think, well, maybe they, did they all become Christians? We don't know for certain. But they responded to a message, and I would have to venture that some said, I need this God in my life because this God is serious business. Verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did, he turned from their evil way, and God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And this is amazing because he's giving grace and mercy to people on a journey. He doesn't set a bunch of, he, he wants them to respond, yep, my my life has got to change. I've got to, I've got to think differently. And God is, I, I will have to say, a reluctant servant named Jonah must have said something fairly compelling for those people to respond the way they did. Because have, have you ever been told you had to do something and you didn't do it with a whole lot of emphasis? Yeah, 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 I, yeah. Jesus loves you, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And you don't, you better repent and he apparently said it with some gusto. He apparently said it with some fervor. He apparently said it with some conviction. And here's the cool part. God was preparing them to receive. So uh, I want you to think about this. Um, I want you to think about how you might respond when somebody says, I'm sorry. Okay? So think about that for just a second. You might be a Jonah if you've said the only reason you're sorry is because you don't want to face the consequences. Have you said that? You might be a Jonah if you said, you're not really sorry. You're, how about if somebody says, I'm sorry, and you said, well, you should be. <laughs> I like this one. When somebody says they're sorry, next time you do it, you're really going to be sorry. I'm so sorry this time. I've never <laughs> I like this one. You're not sorry enough. How many parents have said that? You're not sorry enough. I heard this, I heard this, this sorry from a TV show. I love this. You can save your sorries for someone else. Which means I don't want your sorries. I don't believe you're sorry. And I'm not going to receive them. And I think because Jonah was probably thinking, well, they're, the, only reason they're, they're, the only reason they're even kind of giving any acknowledgement to God because they don't want the consequences. Is there a kernel of the truth in that? Probably. But isn't that true for any of us? 
And, and he was thinking, well, you're not really sorry. He was, he was, he was thinking to himself, you're not really sorry. You know, and so he had in his mind how sorry they should be. Well, let me continue this idea you might be a Jonah. When somebody receives grace and mercy, and grace and mercy, but you think they deserve wrath, you might be a Jonah. You might be a Jonah if enjoying preaching death and destruction and excited about when God's going to drop the hammer on them. You might be a Jonah if repentance is extremely difficult and self-righteous rules your life. You might be a Jonah if you get angry when God's freedom to dispense grace and mercy. You might be a Jonah if you just like, I God, I don't want you to have free reign to give as to anybody. I want you to only give it to a certain group of people. And I want to tell you who those people are. And I wrote this, I, this thought down as I was thinking about Jonah and about us. Jonah preached God's message to the most challenging audience in his life. The people of Nineveh responded. Why does Jonah have a, I mean, and he doesn't have a little meltdown. He has what we call a royal meltdown directed at God. Right at God. And I love what Timothy Keller said to that fact. He said, as long as there is something more important than God in your heart, you will, you will be like Jonah, both fragile and self-righteous. And see, he's fragile at this point. He, you're going to see that here in this story. There's not a lot in this, but you're going to see him. Um, growing up, I was not growing up, I'm not, I'm not that old, but one of our Christmas traditions is we would uh, put on uh, one of the funny movies at Christmas time is, this, is the Christmas story, Elf. How many of you have ever seen that? It's an it's a elf that goes to find his dad in New York, but he is not, he is like an, he's not an elf like what you see in Christmas stories. He is an, a, he's a, a tall man. I mean, it's Will Ferrell. It's pretty funny. But he goes to see, he goes to find his dad and to reconnect with his dad and reestablish a relationship with his dad. And it's just a funny journey along the way. But um, another person comes in who um, is small, and he thinks he's an elf. And he, he's talking to him, and, and he, he describes him as an angry elf. And I, I thought about this because Jonah strikes me as an angry prophet. He is an angry prophet. He is unhappy. He, he doesn't like what God is doing. He, doesn't, he really wants to put God in a box and say, I'll tell you who you get to dispense grace and mercy on, not these people. I get to do that. So... The king's done the proclamation. We get to chapter 4. And you would think that if, if a city was responding to, the, to God in any shape or form, you would be celebrating. Oh, but there's our... I, I'm starting... I, I have fallen in love with the word if for lots of reasons. But now I'm starting to like the word but. Because, look at what happens. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, but... All of that's happened kind of a therefore, but it displeased Jonah, in, in, in my Bible, translates this exceedingly. It wasn't like he was just a little upset. It's exceedingly. It was, it was describing a, a really unhappy person. It displeased Jonah exceedingly that he, and he was angry. He's an angry prophet. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, it is not what I said when I was yet in my country, that this is why, this is why 
I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I, I knew you were going to be this kind of God. I knew that you were going to do this, and I didn't want to be any part of that. Isn't this crazy? That is why I haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I knew you were this kind of God. Great. You're not dropping the hammer. You're, you're not, you're not going to turn this town to dust. You're going to give them grace and mercy, God. And I don't like you for that reason. I'm angry at you because they deserve your full wrath. Your full wrath. And something I wrote is thinking about this, that because he knew who God was, he'd had, he had, <coughs> excuse me, he had New Testament, Old Testament, he had experienced God, and I wrote this, solid theology is wonderful, it really is, but if it never travels the roughly 12 inches from the head to the heart, it is tragically pointless. So you can know the religious leaders of Jesus' day knew the Bible. Matter of fact, most of them would have had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. They would have been able to tell you right in here, wouldn't even have to, wouldn't even have, to have a Bible. They could just do it. But it's something tragic about the idea that you can have this much knowledge about God, but from here to here, it gets lost in translation. Something happens to us. And a pastor wrote this, and, and he was talking about Jonah, and he said this, Larry Osborne said this. He says, when our passion for God overrides our compassion for the lost, something has gone terribly wrong. When we come to the point where we'd rather see judgment than salvation, we are no longer aligned with the heart of God. Now, let me paint a picture for you for just a second. You are in Jonah's shoes for just a moment, Okay. And God has told you to go to a certain city, okay? And in that city are transgender, Muslims, Democrats, Republicans, gay, child molesters, wife beaters, abortionists, adulterers, and convicts. Now, you can pick the one that raises your feathers the most. And he says, I want you to go preach the mercy and grace to those people. Now, can you start to get a picture of why Jonah did not want to go to that, that town? Because in this room, I would venture to guess if I said, does a child molester deserve grace and mercy? And you say, no, they need to burn in hell. Am I right? I know that my, my daughter's oldest brother was beaten so badly that he has scars on top of his head where the hanger beat him from his mother. And I know that his mother deserves mercy, grace of God. You may have a child who is gay. That same child deserves mercy and grace. You may have a spouse who's cheated on you. You deserve they deserve mercy and grace just like you do. You may have a convict in your family, mercy and grace. See, we, don't, we want to pick and choose who we preach to. And those people, when they get it 
when they get it together, then I'll tell them about the grace and mercy of God. We live in a political and climate right now, and man, we are polarized to the max. And it's disheartening to me to watch the banter and the pointlessness of it. And yet, if God told you to go to somebody on the other side of the, of the opposite side of you in beliefs and morality and everything else, they preach the message of hope to them, what would you do? Then you start to realize what Jonah was facing. He didn't want to go to those people because they weren't like him in any shape or form. They ruffled his feathers. They were not like him. And I can tell you that God's going to put people in your life that you're going to have the opportunity to tell them about the grace and mercy of God that are not anything like you. And that's really where you're going to find out where you are. So let's keep reading because he has, <clears throat> he has spoken to God in a not reverent way in my opinion. So verse 3 says this. It says, therefore, uh-oh, here we go. All that first part, here's why it's there. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it would be better for me to die than to live. His, look, at, look at how self-loathing he is at this point. He says, God, I would rather die than see that town prosper in any shape or form. I would rather die than see you do any more mercy and grace on them. I just can't take it. I can't take it. I love, I love how the Lord responds to him. Verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? What are you, what are you upset about? Why are you angry with me? What are you, what are you, what are you chafing about? What's, what's your problem? And Jonah went out, he went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, like shade, for lack of a better term. He sat under it in the shade till he could see. Okay, because the sea is important. And one of the things I'm doing through as we do the New Testament read is I'm looking for sea and saw, whether it's been God or us, what the context was. I love that because it says he went out to sea. He is still hoping that he's like, let me get a front row seat to this. Come on, God, please bring the hammer. Please bring the thunder. Bring it. Let's see it. And it's not happening. It's not happening. And see, when we, when we sit around thinking, boy, they're going to get theirs. Man, it, they, they've got it coming. And I will say this. When you've committed a serious sin and, and you've broken the law, there are serious consequences, right? There is. That's the, that's the rules. But I still believe in grace and mercy. Because here's what we've done when we say that. When we want God to bring the thunder and hammer and we want him to just destroy, we're saying that somehow we are better than them. We are better than them. So he went out to see what will become of the city. And now the Lord, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort because it was hot. Let me ask you a question. Is that grace and mercy from God? It is. He could have said, all right, be a baby. Go out there and suffer in the sun because you're, being a, you're just being a baby. 
And instead he says, grace and mercy, comes over here, makes a covering, a plant rise up, which is a miracle, gives him some relief. So Jonah was, he was exceedingly angry a few minutes ago, and now look at what it says. It says, now Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it would wither, it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. There has never been a season in my life where I said, God, I just wish I were dead. I felt really bad at times, but I'm just saying. But Jonah's like, I would rather die and see you do nothing, God. You're not going to do anything. Then grace and mercy, oh, I would rather die. And this heat is killing me. So between your lack of movement and this heat, just take my life. I want to be done with you. Is it better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry with the, for the plant? He is more upset about the plant than about the Ninevites. A plant than about people. And he said, yes, I will, do, I, will be, I will do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor and did not make it grow, which came into being at night and perished at night? He says, you're, you're more upset about a plant than about the fact that these people are responding to me on some level? You, how can you not be happy about that? Because it goes back to the fact that these were people not like him, and they deserved his wrath and not his mercy. Now, let me, let me, let's go back to the fish for just a second. Because in the fish, Jonah is praying largely because he is not happy about being in the fish, right? And so, would you, would, could you connect dots that say that, was he really sorry? Like the Ninevites? Because he was saying, well, you're not really sorry. The only reason you're sorry is because you don't want the consequences. Well, Jonah could be said the same thing. Uh, you're only sorry because you want to get out of the fish. And so he is cast out. He is, he's, been, he's seen God work, and he's, he's doing all this, and he's in the heat, and he's unhappy. And then he's like, I'm more broken up about the plan than about the people. Something's wrong about that, my friends. Something's wrong about that. Verse 11, and look at what God says. And should I not, should I not have pity on Nineveh, the great city in which there's more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also as much cattle? And let me help you out. That's the end of this book. There's no chapter 5. That's how it ends. No great resolution. I've read lots of commentaries about the end of chapter 4. And you're hoping that Jonah kind of has a wake-up moment after this that we don't know about. And hoping that he, he kind of says, oh man, I, I missed it. I was wrong. I should have rejoiced that they were responding to God instead of sulking and complaining. And I, I wrote this down, self-righteous anger. You think... You think life with God is not worth living if God's, if God's going to give mercy and grace to those people. 
tell you how polarizing our, our country is. Uh, probably about a month or two ago, uh, former President Bush was seen at a, I think a sporting event, I'm not even completely sure, with Ellen DeGeneres, who's a homosexual. And they were sitting at the thing, watching whatever it was. And both sides of that group torched one another. The, the folks who were Bush people were saying, how dare you sit with her? And people on that side of it were saying, how dare you sit with him? And they lit both of them up for about two weeks. And I, I, it was interesting to hear Ellen and George W. Bush respond. They didn't respond with anger and resentment. They, they talked about, why, why can't we be friends? We don't agree on a lot of things. They don't. They don't agree on a lot of things. But why do I? What, what it was saying is, is, if you're not like me, then you must hate that person. And that's what Jonah was saying. They're not like me, so I have to hate them. I have to have disdain for them. I had the privilege a number of years ago to go to the uh, state capitol and pray before their opening session. And uh, my friend, uh, um, he was, he was a, he's a representative, still is, uh, is a Republican. And one of his best friends is a Democrat. And, and he said, hey, I've got to go to this meeting, but my friend is going to walk you around until it's time for you to go in and pray. And I said, oh, that's great. I was like, and so I'm talking to her. We're kind of just looking out over the thing. It's really pretty in there. And, and I said, let me ask you a question. I said, how hard is it to be in the political world? Because she'd been in it for 30 years. She's a veteran. She says, it's extremely difficult. She said, because I'm a Democrat um, who is um, pro-rights for children. And I am, I am, I am in the minority. And my, my, my Democratic family is trying to get me out because I don't align with everything that they do. I said, how are you friends with my friend? And she said, why can't I be friends with him? Why can't I? Just because we don't agree on everything doesn't mean that I, I have to hate him, that I have to have disdain for him. And I, the reason I'm saying all this, guys, is because Jonah disliked a group of people because they, he wasn't, they weren't like him in any shape or form. And they didn't believe what he believed. They didn't think the way he thought. They didn't believe. They didn't worship the same kind of God that, that he did. And he, he drew a hard line in the sand and said, unless you're on this side with me, you're against me. You're against me. And it just, it's hard to imagine that we would say, unless you are like me, then there's no point in even having a conversation. And I, I walked away with a whole new appreciation after hearing that woman talk. I did. Because we weren't going to agree on a lot of things, but I, I was impressed that she had to say, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. Let me, write, let me write down a few more things. You want God's judgment of others, but a less harsh version for yourself. You want God to drop the hammer on everybody but you. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want God to give you the same hammer as he's going to do somebody else. God, you can be that hammer, but let me give you a little wood mallet for me. You can do the sledgehammer on them. 
Something else I've noticed about self-righteous anger, it feeds our ego and produces deadly poison of self-righteousness. When you think that you can look at it because, well, I've never been arrested, I've never cheated, I've never looked at pornography, I've never done, I've never, and you just make a checklist of all the things you haven't done, and then you look at other people and you go, you're not, I, you're, I, God, I'm on your all-star team. And I'll tell you this, when, when self-righteousness corrupts us, we don't see people the way that we're supposed to. We don't have any mercy, we don't have any grace, we don't have any patience for them to be on a journey. You need to believe and think the way I do right now. And if you don't, there's the door. And you miss opportunities. It was great to talk to that, that politician. It was great to talk to her because we had a great conversation for like an hour until I got to do my thing. And it was great just to have this conversation and it wasn't adversarial at all. And we had things that we differed on. But we had a conversation, and it was, it, was, it was one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had with somebody that believed quite differently about things than I did. And not one time did I go, you're burning in hell. And not one time did she go, you're a self-righteous pig. We were able to have a conversation. See, let me tell you, folks, if you want to have, if you want to speak into people's lives, respect them. You don't have to agree with them, but respect them. Paul told us that in Romans. If it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. It depends on you. It doesn't depend on them. It doesn't say them. It says you. And Jonah had an opportunity to celebrate what God was doing. Instead, he complained about a plant not being the providing the shade. And more so, he complained about God's grace and mercy and abounding, abounding love. How do you complain about those things, by the way? How do you complain about those things? And let me close out with this. Jesus said these words to us. He says, I do command I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, this is huge. He's telling his disciples this right before he goes to the cross. He goes, by this, all people will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. If you don't trash one another. Uh, president of our, of our SBC convention, he put this on Twitter uh, Thursday, and I couldn't believe it. Somebody anonymously um, sent him a trophy that said, Worst Christian for 2019. Anonymously. And it's a trophy about this tall. And you know why they sent it? It's because they didn't line up theologically or philosophy. Really? I, I, I'll, I'll help you out with something, folks. I'm a pastor for a long time now. In this room, we won't line up on everything theologically or philosophy. Am I right? We won't. There are Democrats in here. There are Republicans in here. There are people in here who have children who are homosexual or transgender, because I know. There are some of you that are divorced and remarried. There are some of you that had a cheating spouse. There are some of you that struggle with pornography. There are some of you that struggle with addictions of other kinds. And yet we make up the church, all of that, and a whole lot more. And we don't get to pick and choose who walks through that door. We don't get to say, well, boy, when you get your life cleaned up a little more, then come on in. And here Jesus is saying, just like he would have said to Jonah, 
they're going to know us by how we treat what's in this house and how we treat those outside the house. They're going to they're, they're, they're know who God is by how we treat people. I may not agree with you. I may not like, I may not like what you believe, but I, I had better respect you. And God was calling Jonah to celebrate what was going on in that town. Instead, he was sulking about God's grace and mercy and abounding love and about a plant that withered because he didn't get shade anymore. Folks, we got to stop asking for God to drop the hammer, and we got to say, God, what, can I, what, what part do I have in being the message of hope and grace to the world? Are there conversations about people's beliefs? Certainly. But let's have them. Don't tell them they got to be this way, and then we'll talk. Everybody's on a journey. Let's, let's, let's talk. Let's have that conversation instead of throwing rocks. God was willing to spare Nineveh and Jordan, Jonah. But in order to do that, he couldn't spare his own son. And let me help you out. Let me add something else to that. He couldn't spare his own son for us either. His son not only had to die for the Ninevites, but for everybody in this room too. None of us in this room are immune from that. And I want you to know this last thing too that Jerry Bridges said. He said, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. And see, Jonah needed to remember that. Jonah, Jonah's pretty self-righteous about how he saw people and things. And you all live in or around people who may think differently, may believe differently, and we don't get to pick and choose who we, should, who we tell the message of, of hope to. But do it. Take, take down some walls with some people so that you can celebrate what God is doing instead of saying, man, when you get this right, we're going to be doing a series on the book of Daniel. I'm going to blow some of your doors off later this year. I'm already preparing for it now. I'm going to blow your doors off because some of you got this, we're living in Babylon now, God. Well, let me help you out. There's a way to respond living in Babylon right now. How we carry the message of hope. How we portray Christ to a watching world. If you want to see God do something in your life, ask him to bring somebody in your life that's completely opposite of you so that you can tell the message of hope to them. That might be your one. And I pray for us in this room in particular that our hearts will be tender towards God because his heart, he has been tender towards us. And not built up with self-righteousness. Not built up with only a select few will I share the message of hope with. Only a select few get to hear. We, get to, we, gotta sh- we don't get to pick and choose. Jonah didn't get to pick and choose. We don't get to pick and choose. Let me pray. <coughs> God, I, I, I just stand before you. Embarrassed. Broken aware that I have been too picky about who I share with. Well, what if they show up that dressed that way or their lifestyle doesn't line up? And we don't get to pick and choose those things, God. And God, we should celebrate when anybody 
responds to the message of salvation. When somebody responds to the, that is God and I need that God. How can we not rejoice in that? God, I, I'm afraid that self-righteousness and pride are too prominent in our spiritual journey. We are asking people to be more like us and not like you. I pray that you would knock down walls. I pray, God, that you would be with those families who have, they have all the things I listed and a whole lot more. That they would know that there's a God that heals and restores. That there's a God who works. That there is a God who overcomes. But more than anything, God, I ask for brokenness within us. That the, the world's going to know us by our love. Even the people that we don't agree with. It's easy to love people that are like us. It's difficult to love people that are not like us. And Jesus didn't give us that qualifier. He didn't say, love these people. But when these people come around, then love them too. He didn't do that, God. And I ask God for this next few moments that there would be a just God that you would move that we would have a a broken awareness that we we've been too self-righteous we've had too high opinions of ourselves we've been too critical of political parties or people's lifestyles are there consequences to something certainly but I think our self-righteousness has clouded our ability to bring the message to bring the message of what Jesus did on the cross to a watching world. And I ask God that you would move in this room this morning. It might be just right where we stand. It might be at this altar. But God, I pray that, that people would know that we are your disciples by the way we treat and love one another. And that creates the conversational opportunities. That creates an inroad to talk to people about who Jesus is. And that is where we start to see transformation. That is where we start to see you at work. It isn't an overnight thing. It's a lifetime thing. And it takes work and it takes time. And it takes swallowing our self-righteousness and our opinions and asking you to move the way you do, God. And I ask that you would do that even as I pray. In your name I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. This altar is...